In our studies this week, um, we are on the chapter dealing with prayer. And when it comes to prayer, it's one thing that most people would say, I pray. Most everybody prays, but it's really, really difficult to maintain a fervent life of prayer. And you think, why is that? You know, we sometimes say um, prayer is just talking to God, but you don't see Him and you don't see His response when you talk to Him. Uh, that adds to some of the difficulty. There are many things that contribute to the difficulty of it, but I think primarily the greatest reason we struggle with prayer is because Satan knows the power of it and he wants to make it as difficult as possible and he wants to keep us away from it. On one hand, it's that. On another hand, it is prayer is much more than talking to God. Prayer involves a life. It it's not just a segment of our life. Effectual prayer permeates our life in so many ways. And one of the dangers in coming and talking about prayer like this morning is, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all familiar with it. And it's like, okay. And then what's even more dangerous is we say, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we come to this very, very familiar passage. <clears throat> and so my prayer has been, God, help us to see with spirit-directed eyes and hearts and minds in a fresh manner what you have in this passage for us. I'll begin reading in verse 5 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, re will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's just bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do ask that 
your spirit would help us to see in a fresh manner your heart regarding our personal prayer. And Lord, I pray that as a result of our time together today, that you would be pleased, as you said, the prayer of the upright is your delight. So I pray that we would bring much delight to you by our prayer, by our prayer life, and Lord, that you truly would be pleased and that your hand would work mightily in response to your working in our lives. So Lord, again, we say we can't do it, but we rejoice that you can And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, the Lord's Prayer as it's called, is probably better called the model prayer that he gives to us. And it's something that we're very, very familiar with. And um, sometimes people respond in different ways like, This is a prayer that they pray themselves, and nothing wrong with that if it's really coming from our heart. And yet, at the same time, he warned and said, I don't want you to just use vain repetition. But he he lays down certain principles in this prayer that I want us to look at this morning that really shows us prayer involves our whole life. And it begins, Our Father who art in heaven. First of all, it involves our life as a child of God. When we say, Our Father who is in heaven, it's not a a formal address that he's giving, but it's it's celebrating a relationship. We are reminding ourselves of the great, great love of God that made it possible for our sins to be forgiven, which separated us from God. Our sins separated us from God. But He sent His Son to forgive our sins and restore us to fellowship with God. And He said in John chapter 1 and verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. So we're adopted into God's family. We cannot call Him Father if we've never been born into his family. And and again, he goes back, John chapter 3, Nicodemus said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, you must be born again. And he went on to teach, no, no, I'm not saying go back and redo your physical birth. I'm saying that you must be born spiritually. You had a physical birth date, and that's when you received physical life. And he says, you have to receive spiritual life through faith in Jesus Christ, and then you can come to God and have access to Him as our Father. 
In fact, later in John, he says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through Christ. So, we can't approach Him as Father. It involves our life in the fact that there has to be a time that we've personally called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then once we have, we have direct access to God as our Father. And the privilege that we have to come to Him as our Father, as an intimate relationship, as a unique relationship, as a, as a Father and a Son. So prayer involves a life that begins with understanding and knowing we are a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Then it says, hallowed be your name. Prayer involves a life that is lived for God's name. That our whole purpose is for God's glory. That we're concerned about God's name, not our name. Our name and our reputation doesn't matter. All that matters is God's name. So when we come to Him in prayer, what our motive should be for the prayers is not to make life easier for me or not to advance my name or all these other things, but it's about God's name. It's about His reputation. Psalm 23, the great shepherd psalm, says he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's not about us. And, and many of our prayers we bring before God, and it's about us. It's about our reputation and our success, and, and we tack on the end. And, and God, I'll, I'll give you the glory for it. But really, it's, it's our motive. But when we come to Him, and our longing is for His name and His character and His nature to be number one in our heart, our attitude is, Lord, I'm coming because I want you to be exalted. I want you to be honored. I want you to be number one. So our Father, as a child of God, hallowed be your name. We're living for God's name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. It is a submission to God. It involves a life that's submitted to God. Self-centered prayers try to control God. Genuine prayers come in submission to God. Your kingdom come means, God, we want you to be king. And, and we'll look at it in just a moment. But that begins, first of all, in my own life. I want your will to be done in my life as it is in heaven. That means I'm coming with the spirit of submission. I'm not the boss, God. If your own son, Jesus Christ, said, Nevertheless, not my will, 
but thine be done, then God, I'm coming and I'm submitting to you. It's not about my will. I am in submission to you. It's about your will. It's about your kingdom. King means he has the authority. See, our prayer life will dry up. Our prayer life will not be fervent. Our prayer life will disappear if we are resisting God's will. So the key to understanding Scripture as you read it, and the key to an effective, fervent prayer life is a desire to do God's will and the follow-through to do God's will. In other words, submission to Him. It is also a prayer, Thy kingdom come. Okay, it affects me. About my will. I want your will done in my life. But it's also an evangelistic emphasis. I want, I want others to know you as king. And so I am praying that others would come to know you and submit to you. And it is also a prayer for the restoration of, of all things under God in the future. God I want your kingdom to come when all rebellion will stop, when you will be reigning supremely, when every knee will bow, when all evil will be put down. So it's a spirit of submission on my part to God's will. It's a, it's a burden for others to come to know Christ. And it's a longing for His coming when He reigns supremely. So that's the Spirit that we come. Then it says, Give us this day our daily bread. It is a life that is depending entirely upon God. It is a life that recognizes our dependence on God for our most basic needs. Bread for physical life. He goes on. Forgiveness for spiritual life. And victory is only possible through Him. But it is this dependence upon God. We struggle with this as Americans because we live in abundance. Most of us have at least a month's worth of supply of food at home. So it's not like we're dependent on God. Give me today my daily bread. Well, the reality is we are dependent on God. Everything could be wiped out in a moment. You could get to the point that you couldn't feed yourself, even if you have bread. In a moment, that can happen. But the, rea- the, the main thought of what he is saying is a daily, entire dependence upon God. One of, one of the problems that we run into is the average person doesn't need God. They think they don't need God. I've got a good job. I've got all these toys. We've got this food got a family, got the government, they'll send me COVID checks and they'll do this and that. And um, 
the average person doesn't think they need God. And sad to say, many times as Christians, it's like, I need you for forgiveness, but okay, now that, now that heaven's taken care of, I think I can handle, I may need a little help. God, would you help me with this? No, we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. I mean, we say, let's stand together as we sing. Do you understand? We are dependent on God to keep our body working, that the brain signals to the body, stand up. We are dependent on God for everything. And when it says, give us this day our daily bread, it does deal with the the necessities of life. But the bottom line is, a genuine, effective prayer life is based on realizing, God, I need you. I am dependent on you. I, I can't handle this. You may, have, you may have worked a job for 30 years, but every day when you go to work, you need to go with an attitude, God, I need you today. I can't do this. You may think you could do it in your sleep, but God, I need you. God loves that dependence upon him because it's an opportunity to magnify his name. And we do need him. And every once in a while, God pulls back a few things to show us how desperately we do need him. So it it is, God, I must have you. It's a dependence on God. God, today, I don't know what today holds. I need to hear from you this morning, God. I need to hear from... I, I can't live by bread alone. I need, I need your word. God, I need your power. God, I need you. You are my only hope. Dependence upon God will produce gratefulness and praise. And gratefulness and praise are lacking in our lives because we don't have a dependence on God. When we depend on God and He provides, we are filled with gratefulness. Thank you, God. It comes from a life of dependence on God. Then it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Prayer involves a life with a clear conscience. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity, if I harbor sin in my life, iniquity is self-will. If I regard iniquity in my life, the Lord will not hear me. Now, he hears it, but he doesn't give it a hearing. There's a difference. So, a genuine life of prayer cannot be separated from a clear conscience. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, If you bring your gift to the altar, bringing a gift to God, and you there remember that you and a brother or sister have ought against each other, He said, I don't even want your gift. Leave your gift there. 
First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Have a clear conscience. And then he says, then come and offer your gift. If we don't have a clear conscience, and a a clear conscience is the ability to look anyone in the eyes and know that you have not offended them, but what you have tried to make it right. It's a clear conscience. Paul said, I do always strive to have a conscience void of offense before God and before men. One of the greatest possessions you can ever have is a clear conscience. And it's something you have to continually, continually pursue. And Paul wrote to young Timothy and he said, Timothy... I rejoice in your faith. And make sure you hold your faith with a good conscience. And he goes on and says, Which some having put away concerning faith, meaning they gave up a good conscience, a clear conscience. And he says, And their faith became shipwrecked. In order to have an effective prayer life, in order to have effective faith, we must guard our conscience at all times. And, and it is a battle that we need to continually deal with. And, and a battle, again, just recently that I had decisions to make that clear conscience or no. And, and I can justify certain things but I didn't have a clear conscience if I did what I was planning to do. A life of prayer involves a clear conscience. And then it says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. It does not bring us to the place of temptation. The words... The, the whole thought here, we know God does not tempt us to evil. James tells us that. But the whole thought is here that don't abandon us in temptation and we understand the spiritual warfare that we're in. We're just not in a picnic in the park. We are in spiritual warfare and Satan is continually tempting us and getting us to go away from Christ, getting us to fall, getting us to fail. And if you understand spiritual warfare, it will benefit your prayer life in a great great deal. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So he's given us a warning. You are in warfare, spiritual warfare. And if you think, oh, that never happened to me, he said, take heed. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So I'm in the midst of spiritual warfare. There's an enemy out there that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And if I think, I, I can recognize his devices 
and I can handle it on my own. I am already defeated. But he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and that ought to drive me to the heart of God, realizing the weapons of this warfare are not fleshly, but are mighty through God, there's prayer, mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. Paul said in in Romans 7, Man, the things that I want to do and know that I should do, I end up not doing them. And then, on the other hand, the things I don't want to do, I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing them. And he said, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who can deliver me from this miserable state? And then he turned his eyes and says, But thanks be unto God who delivers us through Jesus Christ. It's understanding the warfare around us and the warfare in us. The flesh is always pulling us the wrong way. And then it's running to God in prayer and saying, God, I need you. I, I can't do this. I, I can't resist the devil in and of myself. I need your power. So a life of prayer understands spiritual warfare. And then it says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A life of prayer is one that believes God. Believes God. God, you're still in control. Yours is the kingdom. All power is given unto you. And all glory is yours forever. A belief that God is big. A belief that God is everything. A belief that God is the last one who will be standing. And it's coming to God. Why am I coming to God? Because He's the only one that will be left standing. He's the only one that has all power. He's the only one that has all wisdom. He's the only one that has all glory. He's the only one, period. And I'm coming to Him because with God, nothing is impossible. And I'm coming to Him because He's been given a name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We get upset hearing that someone took a Bible from a motel and wrote vulgar things in it and trashed it. And we get upset at evil. But we need to remember someday every knee is going to bow. That ought to encourage us not weighed down with the evil around us or the evil in us, but encouraged, knowing God is in control. All power is given unto Him in heaven and in earth. And and He closed this by saying, I am being reminded that yours is the kingdom and yours is the power forever and ever. Amen. God doesn't need our prayers, but we need to pray in order to express our complete dependence on Him, in order to build our faith. We pray because He's God and we are not. So let me just 
quick make some application. Number one, are you a child of God? Am I, ask yourself, am I a child of God? Is there a definite time that I can look to that I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? If you aren't a child of God, you don't have a prayer. Except one. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. God is under no obligation to hear the prayers of those that are not his child. So the the first thing we need to ask, am I a child of God? Secondly, am I living for God's name, not my own? Is my purpose in life about God? Or is it about me and they offended me and I don't like this and what am I living for God's name, not my own? Thirdly, am I living under God's authority in my life? Is there anything in my life right now that I know God has given me the instruction to do and I'm not doing it? And that begins, first of all, in reading the Word. We, we can't know God's will if we neglect the Word of God. Am I really under God's authority? As parents, we struggle when kids are not under our authority. And oftentimes, God's given us a reflection of the mirror of how He sees us. Am I living under God's authority? Is my total dependence on God alone? And you know what tests that? What tests that is when we lose something in life and it really shakes us. It's a good indication we were having dependence on that. A good test is when, when you get your, your stock statement in 401 and you see it going down and it causes anxiety and fear and stress in your life. It's a good indication you're probably trusting that for the future more than you're trusting God. Am I in total dependence on God alone? Number five, do I have a clear conscience? Can I honestly say I have a clear conscience? I've tried to make things right, or I've been honest in this. At work, I have a clear conscience. Number six, do I, do I recognize the spiritual warfare in my life? You, you think it's a battle between you and your wife or you and your kids or you and your neighbor. No, that, that's seeing things horizontally. Satan's come to cause conflict. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The battle is not here. It's spiritual warfare. And the only solution for spiritual warfare, it begins with prayer. But we don't, we don't even attribute most of what's happening in our life to spiritual warfare, and so we don't go to God. And then lastly, am I rejoicing in what God is going to do? This is what God's promised He's going to do. That gives me peace of mind. I am rejoicing in it. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And I am rejoicing. I'm looking forward to that day. Until then, God, I want you to be the king of my life. I want my life to be used for your honor and glory. And when, when our life is built around that, our prayer life will be impacted greatly. And yet, it takes us understanding the heart of God to know the importance of God. So I want you today, to those last seven applications, to personally take time today and, and sit down and go through and say, God, show me, am I really living for your name? See, a good indication there is, is what when you're touched ticks you off. Usually it's what offended us, not what offended God. But to go through and ask yourself and seriously take the time, God, what is it in my life? I want to know your power. I want to have... Um, the full avenue of your power at work in my life for your glory. So teach me to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Spirit would make personal in our lives these truths. And Lord, I just ask that you would teach us to pray. Lord, I pray that you would show us what areas of our life are hindering our prayer life. Lord, I pray that we'd be awakened to the spiritual warfare that we're in. And God, I pray that there would be mighty things done for your glory because we have responded to your leading in this area of our prayer life. Lord, we need you, and we oftentimes don't acknowledge that, but may we acknowledge that before you today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.